Adam. And we're joined by a very special guest, one of my oldest friends. Her name is Roxanne and she works in the field of sexual health and she is joining us from Canada. We're going to be talking about consent today. Uh, it's a very big topic. I'm just going to start by letting her tell us a bit more about what she does and a general introduction. So take it away, Roxanne. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Sam. And thanks, Adam. It's awesome to be here. So yeah, I'll, I guess I'll tell you a little bit about kind of myself and my approach like to this subject. I currently work at a post-secondary institution at a university doing primarily sexual violence prevention work. So with that, there's a lot of education on sexual violence and then obviously consent is a huge part of that. And then also sexual health is in my background through a different, a different role that I've been in, but really informs my current work as well. And I guess one other thing that's important of my background that I bring also is, is in gender studies. So I have a master's and an undergrad in gender studies and kind of feminist ways of thinking and feminist ways of exploring topics like consent and sex and relationships and um, intimacies are really, really fundamental to kind of my, my growth in, in my knowledge. A lot of the consent education I do is we start by talking about consent as it's defined by law. Um, and in Canada, we have one of the most progressive sets of laws around consent. It talks really specifically about things like someone can't consent if they're impaired by drugs or alcohol. It talks really specifically about how there's no such thing as implied consent. Consent has to be enthusiastically expressed, um, things like that. But at the same time that I'm like talking about the law and teaching this law, I think that our approach to consent needs to be a much broader philosophy of, of care and of respect. Because first, not breaking the law, pretty low bar um, in terms of why we would want to practice to consent. But I also think when we're working towards um, creating a consent culture, this is a term that's often used in my field, what would it mean if everyone's desires, wants, boundaries, pleasure was honored and respected with the same equality as everyone else's? And what tools do we need to get there? So that's kind of like my my approach or, or my, my my quest in this in this work, I guess. For sure. That's absolutely awesome. And I think especially when you're talking about consent culture, as a traveler, consent laws are different no matter where you go in the world. Mm -hmm. so being able to spread this kind of culture to these different different cultures, to different places is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And really understanding that in Canada, as the progressive leaders of laws, it's still such a mm -hmm. low bar. We shouldn't be aiming to hit this. We should be jumping over. Mm -hmm. We should be making leaps and bounds in this. But yeah, we need to understand more. So yeah, I think it would be interesting to go over what is seen as the bare minimum, because I think a lot of people might have different ideas of what this minimum bar is. How do you approach this? So consent, it's an agreement. It's, it's a yes to, to do something. And uh, we consent all the time, right? Whether in non-sexual situations. And oftentimes, you'll, you'll probably notice throughout this conversation, that I often talk about consent in non-sexual situations because I think they're really instructive for the ways that we often intuitively give consent. So I still want to flag that and I'll probably come back to it a lot. But kind of in addition to that basic definition, there's a lot of things to take into account. So first, consent has to be voluntary. If someone's saying yes to, to sex or to any kind of sexual act, it's because they, they really want to and that's freely given. And it's not a yes that's been coerced or forced out of them. And I think we can 
imagine or might have experienced even this could look like a partnership or a dating relationship where my partner is like, you just must think I'm so horrible and ugly. You don't really want me and you're going to break up with me and emotionally man manipulate that person. So often a, a lot of sexual violence, a lot of sexual assault actually does happen within dating relationships, even though our narrative is still like, ah, the stranger in the bushes is coming for us all. The stranger assaults do happen, but it's in Canada anyways, it's only about 15% of assaults are strangers. But yeah, so so voluntary, not there's no guilt, there's no pressure, there's no threats. Think of the ways that someone with a position of power can weaponize that against other people. So classic example, Harvey Weinstein mm -hmm. using um, a ton of uh, power, whether it's explicit or implied, of ending women's careers if they wouldn't give in to what he wanted and then forcing himself anyways. So... Sorry, a lot of this conversation is really grim. So, and I want to just stop and name that for people who are watching too, that as we're talking about consent and talking about sexual violence potentially as, as part of that, just that this can be a heavy conversation and it's okay to take breaks and just to like honor whatever's, whatever kinds of feelings might be coming up because it can bring up like unexpected and, and difficult feelings sometimes. So prioritize your self-care. Um, Definitely. Yeah, so... Consent is voluntary is one part of the bar. Do you want me to kind of go through all of the parts of the bar or do you want to stop and talk about them as we go along? I wouldn't mind uh, stopping and talking about them and coming up with some examples and personal stories. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. Because I've noticed a lot if a guy is trying something with me and then I'll be like, no, I'm not interested. Oh, come on, are you sure? And then they yeah. keep trying to pressure again mm -hmm. and again and then they stop, oh no, it's fine oh no, I won't do anything. And okay, cool. Then we're good. We can chill here. And then all of a sudden we start talking more and they're like, oh, now this is definitely an invitation that she wants me to know. That's not an invitation just because we are continuing to talk or be in the same room or because I'm mm -hmm. naked. Just because I'm yeah. naked that it's an invitation. That's not yes. When I say totally. no, it doesn't mean you can keep going and keep asking. Absolutely. Yeah. No is a complete sentence. Full stop. But, and I think a lot of this has to do with our, our culture and specifically around heterosexuality. Men are, are taught that no means try harder. And then uh, eventually you'll like get the girl. And then for, for people who are of any gender who have said no to something and then that no is disrespected and disregarded, people will give in because maybe they're feeling unsafe. Will this escalate to a point where I'm physically forced? I just want this to stop. Giving in, in order to preserve your safety and well-being and um, after your boundaries have been disregarded, that's not a yes that's willingly given, right? Mm. Yeah. Okay, on yeah. that topic then, I would say, so yeah, it's definitely clear if you say no, it isn't an invitation to move on. How would you then give that invitation if you do change your life? Is it okay to make a move again, if at all? One way I would answer your question is by thinking about the broader consent conversations that we're ideally having or working towards having. And I know this isn't the reality, but ideally we've had conversations about consent before we're in that moment with someone. I know that's far from our cultural norm for a lot of reasons. Think of all the Hollywood movies where there's total silence or full-on fighting and all of a sudden they're having passionate, romantic super pleasurable sex without uttering a word, right? That's our cultural standard and we need to tear that the fuck down because it's so harmful. 
before we're in a sexual situation with someone, that's an there's an opportunity to have conversations. Hey, I would really like to be intimate with you or when things are getting started, just checking in. Is there anything you're not comfortable with? Or I would really like to do X to you. Is that something you're game for? And then if they say no, then say, okay, perfect. Thanks for telling me. I would never want to make you uncomfortable. I like to try to give people scripts, but out of context, they sound super awkward. So I just want to name that. But yeah, if someone is, if someone's withdrawn their consent, it seems like maybe things have changed. Just invite a chance to take a break, to slow, to slow down. Mm. Often it's really hard to say no. And people often say no without actually using the words no. But if someone said no, that's probably been pretty difficult for them. They might be activated in terms of like their nervous system. They might be feeling anxious. So that's a good chance to just check in and say, are you, are you okay to continue? Do you want to glass, grab a glass of water? And then to check in, cool, like, so we won't do that. Is there anything else that you're not comfortable with? Get that feedback. And then, yeah, I think it would be context dependent if it was appropriate within the same sexual encounter to try that again. I would err towards no and letting them initiate it if they did. And you could even say that, right? Saying if that is ever something you want to explore, I'm so super open to that, but absolutely no pressure. I'm so comfortable with whatever your boundaries are. Mm -hmm. You'll notice again, a lot of verbal communication, right? If our goal is for our sexual experiences, for everyone to come out, not just not having their boundaries violated, but actually having had a fucking great time, then talking about it is so key. For sure. Mm. Does that, you look like you still have questions, Adam, and then, and I, and yeah, or like you're thinking, tell me, tell me about the wheels that are turning. <laughs> I don't know, I, I, I guess I kind of feel like I've, I've like fucked up a bit in the past, really, and I don't think I've ever gone super, super, I obviously haven't had sex with anyone without their consent, but I feel like there have been times yeah. where I have been a bit pushy, for whatever reason, I do definitely regret that now, and I feel like I have made mistakes. To be honest, I'd be surprised if most guys haven't as well. When you said there's no such thing as implied consent, I would feel that like most of the time I've had sex, it's been like, I wouldn't say there's been tension, like, no, stop it or anything. There's never, we, I've, I wouldn't say I've ever had a conversation where we've sat down and said, is this okay? Are we both 100% cool with this in the moment? And I feel like that should probably change, but yeah, I kind of just, I feel a bit bad that that hasn't happened, but also I feel it's kind of cool totally. as well. Yeah, totally. I, I have two things in, in response to that. One is that I, I think that most people at who are sexually active at some point in their experiences ha have, like, like, we're all swimming in it. We are absolutely all swimming in it. I have definitely been pushy. I have, I have definitely fallen, fallen into that, and I, I think that something that in creating consent culture that's important to, to name and to kind of hold as true is that every single person has the capacity to to cross boundaries and to potentially cause harm it's not just the harvey weinsteins of the world right mm -hmm. far far from it right and that because it is it is so cultural we're all swimming in it so naming that is really important and yeah it's normal if that's i i remember like i had a moment about an experience I had been kind of pestering a partner at the time and I was like, oh fuck, when I actually was rethinking it and it, it had a lot of shame around it and a lot of guilt around it. And yeah, yeah. And I, and it wasn't, that didn't progress to something we did stop, but I had a lot of feels about that for a long time. Let those be instructive to us. Oh, I guess I could segue to non-verbal consent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Because yeah, how you're talking about, yeah, you've probably never sat down and talked about it in the moment. And so there's one of the other parts of like the bar, the, the, the minimum standard of consent is um, that consent has to be affirmative. What I mean by this is that anything other than a yes is a no. And yes is something that's clearly communicated potentially through words, but also through body language, right? So we can think, what does it look like when someone is super into an experience and like they, they want what's happening to be happening? There's going to be moving towards the person, a mutual, a reciprocity of what's happening, different noises. So, so we know what consent looks like, but yeah. what does non-consent look like? Because something that survivors or victims of sexual violence sometimes hear, why didn't you fight back or are you sure you said no maybe you should have said no more clearly the reality is that there are these super direct ways of saying no and sometimes that's what non-consent sounds like but there's also all these indirect ways right if i'm over yeah. at pal and dating place and i'm like hey do you want to hook up i really want to have sex right now and that person is want to order a pizza mm. is that a yes or a no that's a no, right? Because it's not a yes. And the reality is that we are all of the time, also in non-sexual situations, we very rarely actually use the words no. Think about the last time someone asked you to go for coffee and you were like, God, I really don't want to. You probably were like, oh, I've been really busy. You know, this quarantine life just takes up all my time. And, and also people sometimes say no in indirect ways to preserve people's feelings. You don't want to make someone feel bad. Also, again, if they're maybe feeling unsafe, if I say no directly, is this going to escalate? I have a headache is the classic. Mm. It's almost meant as humor when you see it in older media. Oh, honey, I can't. I have a headache. I, I would say it's a really gendered example about women's labor, right? Emotional labor of having to preserve their male partner's feelings, asserting their right to, to not have sex in a particular moment. Mm. But moving into kind of physical ways that we show non-consent, something that's important to name is that the experience of someone violating your sexual boundaries is often experienced as a trauma and in the moment it's often your stress response that goes into into effect so flight fight or freeze which we often don't talk about that third one so when sam kind of gave that example of how just lying there like this isn't consent absolutely it's not but that's um actually something that happens for a lot of people is this this freeze response and what's sometimes called tonic immobility being totally frozen, unable to move. And that can often be super confusing after the fact survivors might be like, I don't understand why I couldn't move and can have a lot of shame and a lot of um, self-blame around that. But if we flip it back onto the person, anyone who cared about what the other person wanted in a sexual situation, see that freezing up and take that as a sign to stop, check in, make sure that person was okay, not to keep going. But yeah, whether it's freezing, crying, fighting back, um, trying to leave the room, curling up, anything shy of active consent is not consent. So that's, that's that standard of affirmative consent. So basically it's only yes means yes. Mm. And yeah, I don't know what kind of thoughts or questions come up. When you were saying, I guess right at the start, Roxanne, when you said mm -hmm. no such thing as implied consent, mm -hmm. I think I took that and was like, that just means there's no non-verbal consent. I'm actually glad we spoke about that. So basically we've said that mm -hmm. there is non-verbal consent. And if you think about it in relation to a non-sexual situation, it makes a lot more sense that way. The implied consent piece, so refers more to things like what a person is, is wearing, 
So like Sam said before, someone can be totally naked and like this, that's not an invitation. That's not a checkbox for consent. Flirting, accepting drinks from someone. That term comes from specific case law in Canada. There was a woman who was interviewing, the guy who was interviewing had the trailer set up and she went to the trailer for this in interview and was unfortunately assaulted by this man. And the first time it went to court, he was acquitted and the judge said things like sex was in the air and that it's not as if she showed up to this um, engagement in like bonnet and crinolines, I think is a direct quote. It was summer. She was in shorts and a t-shirt because of these myths. If you're dressed a certain way, if you choose to meet with a man alone, then obviously we're consenting, which is bullshit, not true. But that was uh, what that initial acquittal was based on. So that went all the way up to the Supreme Court and they said, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. No such thing as implied consent. And so that's what I'm talking about that. It's still so prevalent based on the interactions that I have with people. I'm a very clear person when I invite you over to my house and I say, listen, I'm having a great time. You can come over, but I don't want to have sex. There is no possibility of having sex. I just want to get to know you better and we can have a glass of wine or two. But almost always say, oh, come on, blah, 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 maybe once. But I think I was pretty clear from the get-go. So if yeah. you try and ask me more than once, then it's just not okay. Just don't. If somebody says something, listen to them. There is no in-between. Don't keep trying. Mm -hmm. It's not okay. Totally. Yeah. I think our cultural mentality set up, it's, it's like a conquest, right? Think of the baseball metaphor, the idea that you want to get a home run. There's first base, second base, third base. I think those correspond to kissing above waist, fondling or whatever. Third base is oral and run is sex, intercourse specifically. So I think that this kind of model really tells us something about our cultural approach to sex, that it's one person against the other or trying to get to a specific goal in order to win. If you're thinking about it through a heteronormative lens, a kind of perspective that assumes we're talking about a man and a woman, it's the man who's on offense and the woman who's on defense. And I think that this model is is problematic for so many reasons. I'm just thinking about what you said, Simon, you want to invite someone over and not have sex. There's so many forms of intimacy, spending time together, whether or not that involves some sort of sexual activity that are so beautiful and lovely and pleasurable and wonderful that aren't intercourse, right? We're robbing ourselves of the diversity of human relationship experiences by this culture that is so toxic. There's a question that's been kind of bouncing around my head that I'd love to ask. It's on this topic. Let's say you're in a relationship and you want to try something new in the bedroom. I'm super keen, let's say, but the partner isn't that keen. What if, I, what if one of the partners is like, let's try something, the other one's not. Maybe it would actually bring us together if we did do this and did try it. Is there any kind of argument there? How would you approach a situation like that? Yeah, that's a really good question. So one thing that comes to, to mind is, I'm going to kind of answer this maybe in a roundabout way, but there's a, there's a tool, there's a few different versions of it online. Basically, it's a yes, no, maybe kind of checklist of different intimate or sexual activities. Everything from holding hands to rimming, everything under the sun. And I think regardless of whether you're partnered or not, to go through and see how do I feel about these things and what are my absolute hard no's 
what are the things that are fuck yeses and then the things that are maybes. And then if you're partnered and wanting to explore sexuality and new activities with a partner, then looking at each other's lists can be cool, right? And seeing how things match up and then asking what would it look like for you to feel comfortable exploring that? What would make that feel safe? I, I think for the person who did want to do that thing, figuring out what's the need there, increase connection. Does that have to do with just exploring pleasure differently? Are there different ways of meeting that need? Are there ways without making a person feel like they have to cross their own boundary, just exploring it and talking about it? That's what I would say. And I mean, some people's hard no's are never going to move. Some might soften over time as trust and intimacy build in a, in a relationship. And that's the thing. These things change, right? If I had done that list 10 years ago, it would look really, really different from how it does now. And I think that there are specific partners and specific ex experiences that change where there was a lot of trust when I'm so tempted to just delve into my own sexual experiences, but I'm so not doing that on the, inter on the internet. <laughs> that is a boundary. Um, but... <laughs> it takes me to comfortable doing that, Roxanne. <laughs> oh, boy. But yeah, I guess just recognizing that we're all humans in progress, right? And that there's trust. If there's safety, then people's boundaries are likely to change. And also sometimes contract too. Maybe if someone is going through a period of dealing with mental health stuff, or if they have a trauma history, if they have sexual violence that's, that as part of their personal history, there's likely to be periods where they feel more sexually withdrawn and sexually isolated from their partner. And that things they're usually totally down for might be off the table. And not. So that's what I would say. I just wanted to say about the yes no maybe list is i think i have heard of that before but i completely forgot it existed i think the more we're talking about this the more i think most of the issues are caused by like lack of communication sex and relationships are, aren't really talked about and i definitely feel as a guy the pressure to sleep with this girl and you need to and, and like ah oh, and if uh, it's meaningless if you didn't and all this all this this weird these weird things where if you actually look at them it seems like making a list and yeah this is a maybe for me but god no i would absolutely hate this then i can be like well why don't we try this maybe thing then and that would be cool because really in, in the situation i said was like deeper connection or better sexual experiences so if there's a list of things that you're open to trying then like go for it so yeah that's kind of an easy way to do it Totally. Just to kind of echo what, what you said, Adam, around we're not taught to communicate and it can be hard. And I think it takes a lot of like courage um, to talk about these things like openly partners or even in our, our peer groups and with friends, right? Um, sex education is in schools typically focused on like reproductive organs and processes. I do think that there's a place for that and that's important, but we should be teaching children in, in age-appropriate ways about boundaries and consent and then later on about, about pleasure and all, all these things that we're talking about. We're just setting up young people to just keep on replicating this, this system of sex being stigmatized and, and shameful and not talked about if, if we don't provide that education and yeah that's just setting up people to to get hurt and to hurt each other honestly so yeah sex education which is yeah which is why we started it's, yeah literally. And it's crazy how people they're ashamed to talk about sex mm. on a public scale fair but yeah I, 
I don't even know if they would feel comfortable talking one-on-one basis with me. I have been mm-hmm. told that I share too much about sex and topics like this, but I think that it's really important for more people to talk about it. Mm. And even if it is maybe a little bit jarring for some people, I guess, I don't know, is that, am I maybe breaking people's consent by talking about it? Topics related to sex, if that's making someone uncomfortable, that's not ideal. That is violating that person's boundaries. If we're perceiving discomfort from someone else, then we should respond to that. But but at the same time, like recognizing that in, in general, talking about this, that like we have the right to talk about our own sexualities and to kind of put that, put that out there on platforms like this for, for others. I actually want to follow up on that as well. Yeah. In the, I think that's an interesting point, Sam, in like how much you should share, whether it's private between you two, what anything has happened. If you do have a sexual experience with someone and you share it without them saying, I want you to tell people, what do we think about that? That's a great question. Because I, I think that sharing private information about a sexual experience between yourself and another person not ideal right especially if it's identifying that person I I think at its worst we can think about locker room talk right and the idea of talking about the details of a sexual encounter with someone from this place of often wanting to brag or boast about it that's like pretty toxic and it really feeds into that kind of sex as conquest mentality that's that said I, I also think there's a place to talk about sexual experiences but coming from that place of care and respecting the privacy of others i actually think that's really Im- important and i can think of lots of experiences with my girlfriends specifically debriefing sexual experiences right yeah. um i think that's a super important thing to do i think those things are quite different from each other and that there's going to be shades in between okay yeah so to clarify You'd mm-hmm. say that if it's, if it's ragging or trying to kind of be like, look at me, I'm so cool, then that's probably not okay. But, but okay, if it's a debrief, I don't know. I, 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 because, okay, I guess the point is, is it okay to share that you've slept with someone? Really, is that, is that the question? Because what if they don't want people to find out? What if they don't want to, especially I think for some people, mm. you know, they don't want to be talked about. I think there's also an argument to be said that I was thinking while she was saying that, that by openly talking and sharing everything in a way that kind of makes everything more normal, but then you can't then go around and, oh, she's fucked him and he's fucked her and I fucked this person, blah, blah, and that's what they did last night and I know this and this yeah. and that. Like, there is some kind of line somewhere, but I think there is definitely an argument to say the more you talk about it, the more normalized it becomes. And then I think the more natural you can get to talking about sex, but then, and therefore there's probably going to be more consent and more communication. This will be positive, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. I know that that wasn't really a question, but. <laughs> See, it's easy. No. See, <laughs> you're doing it too. Um... <laughs> I think that, yeah, no, I, I think I, I hear what you're asking. And it, I think we can talk openly about sex without violating people's privacy, that we can talk about our sexual experiences and our, our experiences without necessarily like naming people and, and naming specific details about them. And yeah, that's my general principle to, to follow and thinking about are we sharing 
experiences that involve other people in a way that upholds their dignity and is coming from a place of like care and concern for their well-being, which includes privacy, I would say, is, is part of well-being. Okay, would it, be, would it be upholding their dignity if you were saying that someone was really good in bed? I think it depends on the context. Mm. Yeah, I think it depends on the context. And also like who you're sharing it with, right? Like if you're sharing with your, your bestie who you know isn't gonna go like share, sharing those details with someone else. I think most of us have people in our life who we confide in and might share more details than we would with others. That's one thing versus like going on like, I don't know, Instagram <laughs> making a story about it. I don't think people do that. But. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think if there's any, so I, I got away from what the bar is of consent a little bit, but are there other questions that you have right now or topics you want to delve into? I think that are a lot of topics, it's but so many, <laughs> but <laughs> so many, I think we've covered quite a lot of ground and we haven't even talked about consent and substance use or rejection. Yeah. There's so many topics and they are all big, big topics. So yeah, yeah I think that's a, a good idea if we come back to them at a, a later date. Yeah, so I think I think we can wrap it up for today. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been so great talking oh, to you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I love I love talking about this stuff. We're, we're all living living it and figuring it out. And so it's nice to have a, a platform to just have open conversation and frank conversation. I think it's really really uh, needed. So thanks for creating this platform. Sweet. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening, if you've made it this far. I definitely look forward to having Roxanne back again. Yeah. See you in the next episode. Bye! Bye. Bye. <laughs>